0: Thank you for joining us for this chapel message from the campus of Columbia International University in Columbia, South Carolina. Our mission at CIU is to educate people from a biblical worldview to impact the nations with the message of Christ.
1: Thank you. Good morning. Yes, I have the privilege of serving as the Dean of the College of Arts and Sciences. Arts and Sciences represents two-thirds of the various undergraduate degree programs and the vast majority of the general education. I would like to begin today where Dr. Croto left off with the first slide. So as he said, oxytocin is a hormone produced in the hypothalamus. Oh, that was from my anatomy lecture last week. Uh, if you're interested, I would love to have you in that class along with the health science, nursing, and biomedical science students. Let me try, let me try again. Uh, <laughs> grace, mercy, and peace to us from God our Father and our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Uh, my good friend Andre, Andre Rogers called me recently. He had a cancellation, asked if I could speak on October 12th, but he sensed the hesitation in my voice as I said, yes, you see, I was nervous. The theme is be strong and courageous <laughs> and I'm nervous. <laughs> Not nervous to speak in front of students, I literally do that every day of the week, but. Preaching, that's different. Me, a scientist. You see, I didn't go to seminary. I don't know Dr. Herman Newtix. I never took his class. But I was so encouraged by Dr. Croto because if he can talk about neuroscience, then that gives me confidence to talk about the Bible. Uh, Daniel is one of my heroes in the Bible. And one of the reasons is because he wasn't a Levite, he wasn't a priest, he wasn't a theologian. He was a government official. He basically had a secular job, and yet God used him because he was faithful, had integrity, and studied his word. So that gives me encouragement. I don't have to be a professional preacher to share God's word. I just have to be faithful and study it. And I'll give you my take-home message right here. You can serve God in full-time ministry whatever your job is if you're a Christ follower. If you do your job to the glory of God, whatever it is, God can use it as ministry. Can you be a full-time minister in science? Certainly, you can be a missionary to an unreached people group, scientists. Jesus said, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few, and I don't think he was only talking about missionaries to go to foreign lands, as important as that is. I think it's workers of all types who are willing to use their work to the glory of God and have a position of influence from which they can reach others with the gospel. Just a quick overview of Daniel's life. He was from the tribe of Judah, a descendant of David. He was taken in a captive to Babylon about age 17. And the first time we meet him, he wants to eat only vegetables instead of the king's food. He interprets the king's dream and describes the dream And then there's a time where his friends are almost, or well, they are thrown into the fiery furnace because they failed to worship a golden idol. Daniel was thrown into the lion's den because he breaks the law by praying to God. And I'm going to zoom into some of these scenes to see what we can learn about being strong and courageous. So first of all, Daniel was excellent in his profession, even as a young man. Daniel 1, 3 to 6. The king ordered Ashpenaz, chief of his court officials, to bring into the king's service some of the Israelites from the royal family and nobility. Young men without any physical defect, handsome, showing aptitude for every kind of learning, well-informed quick to understand, and qualified to serve in the king's palace. He was to teach them the language and literature of the Babylonians, and the king assigned them a daily amount of food and wine from the king's table. They were to be trained for three years, and after that, enter the king's service. Among those chosen from Judah, Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, also known as Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. To these four young men gave, God gave knowledge and understanding of all kinds of literature and learning and Daniel could understand visions and dreams of all kinds. At the end of the time set by the king to bring them into his service, the chief official presented them to Nebuchadnezzar. The king talked with them and he found none equal to Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. So they entered the king's service. In every matter of wisdom and understanding about which the king questioned them, he found them ten times better than all the magicians and enchanters in his whole kingdom. Later, Daniel interprets the king's dream, and we'll come back to this again, but Daniel 2.48. The king placed Daniel in a high position and lavished many gifts on him. He made him ruler over the entire province of Babylon and placed him in charge of all its wise men. Moreover, at Daniel's request, the king appointed Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego administrators over the province of Babylon while Daniel himself remained at the royal court. So Daniel has a very prestigious position. And then later in Daniel 6, You see, throughout his life, Daniel stood out as excellent in his profession. He was at the top. And note this, he was also excellent as the world judges excellence. He was excellent in the eyes of the world, but Daniel was not worldly. He didn't compromise. And to a degree, if you are excellent, the world will respect you, or at least tolerate you. And not that we're looking for the world's respect or need it, but it can give us opportunities to use a position of influence for Christ. I'm thinking about Truett Cathy, the founder of Chick-fil-A. Mr. Cathy didn't invent the check-in, just the chicken sandwich. And based on the size of the drive through line, enough people also think, It's excellent. He was recognized as a successful businessman, even though all of the restaurants are closed on Sunday. Another example of excellence is Tim Tebow. Tim Tebow was the first underclassman to win the Heisman Trophy, was a first-round draft pick for quarterback for the Denver Broncos, and was well-known for dropping a knee on the field for a quick prayer. How about Dr. Ben Carson, a neurosurgeon? At 33, he became the youngest chair of pediatric neurology at some school called Johns Hopkins. He successfully separated twins who were conjoined at the back of the head the first time it had been attempted and performed also the first successful neurosurgery on a baby while still in the womb. See, if you're excellent, people will go to you as a doctor, and they won't care if you're a Christian. Being excellent in your profession can earn you the right to be heard, and you have opportunity to share your faith in Christ. Another example is of excellence is Eric Little, the Olympic gold medalist and missionary to China. He's remembered for refusing to run his best event in the Olympics because it was scheduled on a Sunday. Instead, he ran 400 meters and won the gold in a race he was not supposed to win. A friend shared a scripture with him. Those who honor me, I will honor. 1 Samuel 2.30 Eric said, the secret of my success over the 400 meter is that I run the first 200 meter as fast as I can. Then for the second 200 meters, with God's help, I run faster. Another famous quote from Eric Little is, I believe God made me for a purpose, for China. But he also made me fast. And when I run... I feel his pleasure. God has made each of you for a purpose. And as you fulfill that purpose, my prayer for you is that you feel the pleasure of the creator who made you. It almost feels weird to say, but God made me for a purpose. And there are times as I do my job as an academic administrator that I feel God is pleased as I used the gifts and abilities that he gave me to glorify him. Now, in holding up these examples of excellence, people who were at the top of their field, yet honored God, it's not to imply that you have to be the best. Just do your best. One of my mentors, Dr. Terry Spahn, whenever I was nervous about doing anything would say, just your usual excellence. He defined excellence as do what you're supposed to do, when you're supposed to do it, the best way you know how, and trust God for the results. This can be seen in Colossians 3.23. Whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord, not for human masters. So Daniel demonstrated excellence, but Daniel also demonstrated faithfulness. In Daniel 1, 8-14, Daniel resolved not to defile himself with the royal food and wine, and he asked the chief official for permission not to defile himself this way. Now God had caused the official to show favor and compassion to Daniel, But the official told Daniel, I'm afraid of my lord the king who has assigned your food and drink. Why should he see you looking worse than the other young men your age? The king would then have my head because of you. Daniel then said to the guard, Please test your servants for ten days. Give us nothing but vegetables to eat and water to drink. Then compare our appearance with that of the young men who eat the royal food. Treat your servants in accordance with what you see. So he agreed and tested them for 10 days. Now, the point of this passage is not to promote the Daniel diet, as some thinking it's healthier to eat only vegetables. Um, God did give us meat to eat. After the flood, God told Noah, just as I gave you the green plants, I now give you everything. So we can eat hot dogs. The clue is Daniel resolved not to defile himself with the royal food and wine. So this was an act of faith and obedience on Daniel's part, not just trying to have a healthy diet. It's not clear exactly what the issue was, but it may have been food that was prohibited by the Mosaic law. So Daniel also demonstrated faith when it came to interpreting the king's dream. The king was troubled by what he saw in his dream, and wanted the wise men to interpret what the dream meant. But rather than just telling the dream so the wise men could interpret it, he wanted the wise men to tell him what the dream was in the first place, which was an impossible task. However, from the king's perspective, this is shrewd. He wanted to know he could trust the interpretation, so he would only trust the person who would tell him what the dream was. Then we further see the rationale in regard to the enchanters and astrologers based on how they reacted. Because they said no one could do that. No one could tell the dream of the king except the gods. However, since they couldn't do it, the king determined to kill all of the so-called wise men. Daniel returned to his house and explained the matter to his friends, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. He urged them to plead for mercy from the God of heaven concerning this mystery so that he and his friends might not be executed with the rest of the wise men of Babylon. During the night, the mystery was revealed to Daniel in a vision, and then Daniel praised the God of heaven. Daniel shows faith in his response since he and his friends would have been killed, and notice what they do. Daniel urges his friends to plead for mercy from the God of heaven. And God did reveal the answer to Daniel, as he acted in faith. He went and told the king the dream and the interpretation. So faithfulness is a second lesson to learn from Daniel. When we face temptations or conflicts, or desperate situations, instead of acting too quickly, taking matters into our own hands, maybe we need to seek the Lord and ask for wisdom. And this is especially the case when we may be asked to compromise. There may be another way forward that we should look for. So Daniel also gives us a model of integrity In Daniel 6, Daniel had so distinguished himself among the administrators and satraps by his exceptional qualities that the king planned to set him over the whole kingdom. At this, the administrators and satraps tried to find grounds for charges against Daniel for his conduct of government affairs, but they were unable to do so. They could find no corruption in him because he was trustworthy and neither corrupt nor negligent. And finally, these men said, we will never find any basis for charges against this man, Daniel, unless it has something to do with the law of his God. Such integrity is impressive In all his dealings as a government official, no one could find any basis for any charge of corruption or negligence. I'm not sure how many government officials today could be found with that level of integrity, but I digress. They couldn't find anything unless it had to do with the law of his God. I've heard integrity defined as always doing the right thing, even when it hurts, even when it costs you, and even when no one is looking. Integrity also reminds me of when Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead. Now, that might seem unusual. But listen, Lazarus was in the tomb dead for four days. And when Jesus asked for the stone to be rolled away, Martha's response in the Old King James, he stinketh. (laughs) Another translation, there's a foul odor. I don't know if you have ever smelled death. It's horrific, it's utterly repulsive. There are two chemicals, cadaverine and putrescine, appropriately named. These are produced by bacteria from proteins as they're decomposing. Now, when Lazarus came out of the tomb, Jesus said, take the grave clothes off and let him go. Now, as a scientist, I look at it this way. While Lazarus' body was brought back to life, I expect the grave clothes still smelled like cadaverine and putrescine. He needed a bath to get the stink off. But when we as believers, as followers of Christ, when we lack integrity or are hypocrites or go back to those sins of the past, then it's like we're still wearing grave clothes, walking around, stinking up, wherever we go. Now, the good news is, even today, if we've fallen short, we can ask the Lord to forgive us. Because if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. But don't miss this aspect. Those that tried to trap Daniel understood that he served the Lord. I heard someone ask this question. If you were ever on trial for being a Christian, is there enough evidence to convict you? In other words, is there eyewitness testimony or any other evidence that could be put forth to demonstrate that you are a Christ follower? Now, we're only saved by the blood of Christ on the cross and faith in him, not our works, but there should be evidence of our faith there should be fruit. So Daniel gives us an example of excellence to commit our ways to the Lord. He gives us an example of faithfulness to seek first the Lord and trust him. Daniel gives us an example to live our life with integrity so our actions and our words are in alignment. But Daniel also gives us an example of boldness. When Daniel learned the decree had been published, he went home to his upstairs room where the windows opened toward Jerusalem. Three times a day, he got down on his knees and prayed, giving thanks to his God just as he had done before. Then these men went as a group and found Daniel praying and asking God for help. So the satraps had set a trap for Daniel and tricked the king. While it was against the law of the Medes and Persians for anyone to pray to anyone other than the king, Daniel didn't stop praying. He didn't pray quietly in his head. He didn't hide in his closet. He didn't pray in his house whispering or with the windows shut. He prayed upstairs with the windows open just as he had done before. Or as another translation puts it, as was his custom. But of course, that's what got him thrown into the lion's den and God rescued him from it. I want to share with you two times that I had boldness when I was about the age of you students. It was in my first year at graduate school. We had a lecture on a gene control element called the lac operon. It's really complicated. and one of the things you biology and biomed students will learn about. But it's amazing and complex, shows elements of design and elegance. And while at lunch, some of us grad students were talking about the incredible lecture on the lac operon, you know, because that's what nerdy science graduate students do, one of them said, that's so complicated, I wonder how it evolved. I had just a moment to answer, and I said, it didn't evolve. God made it. And for the next few seconds of silence that almost seemed an eternity, that was followed by laughter of everyone at the table. But this is what I know. For a few seconds, they thought about it they knew they didn't have a better answer and then laughed. But my prayer is that just as I remember that from 30 years ago, every time I teach about the Lac Operon, I hope that as they teach about the Lac Operon, if they haven't accepted Christ yet, that they remember that conversation at lunch. The other one. I had just interviewed for a job teaching at a community college when there was a creation controversy in the news about a local public school. I wrote a letter to the editor in support of the creationist teacher who had been fired, and the letter had to be signed with my name. As I put the letter in the mailbox, I hesitated. Because if this letter was published with my name, I might not get that teaching job. It might hurt my chances for other jobs. And what if my grad school finds out and they won't give me that PhD I've been working so hard for? All those thoughts crossed my mind as I stood there at the mailbox holding the letter. And I felt if I couldn't take a stand for Christ and my faith in him at this point in my career, how could I ever? So I shoved the letter in the box and slammed the door, and none of those fears ever came to pass. But because I passed that test, I've had opportunities to write and speak about the evidence for creation both at churches and even at some secular universities where people sometimes laugh. The last illustration of boldness in the book of Daniel is not Daniel, but his friends. And I've always loved this example. And I only pray if I ever am faced with such a test, I'll have the same boldness that these men demonstrated. It's in Daniel 3. Daniel's friends Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego refused to bow down to the image of gold, even though it meant they would be thrown into the fiery furnace for refusing to do so. And when challenged, they said, King Nebuchadnezzar, we do not need to defend ourselves before you in this matter. If we are thrown into the blazing furnace, the God we serve is able to deliver us from it and he will deliver us from your majesty's hand. But even if he does not, we want you to know, your majesty, that we will not serve your gods or worship the image of gold you have set up. What boldness. Confident that God was able to deliver them, but even if he did not, it didn't matter because they would have no other gods besides the Lord and would worship him alone. Students, in the fall before classes started, College of Arts and Science faculty had a workshop titled Teaching Students in Babylon. It's because we want to prepare you for the culture that you will face. We want you to be excellent. We want you to be faithful and have integrity. Above that, we want you to have boldness as you make known the name of Jesus Christ. May it be so of the closing song, please.
0: We hope you found this message a blessing to your life. More Columbia International University Chapel messages are available at iTunes and at podcast.ciu.edu. Learn more about CIU's undergraduate, seminary, and graduate programs at our website, ciu.edu. Columbia International University educates people from a biblical worldview to impact the nations with the message of Christ. Thank you for the opportunity to minister to you today.